Pero looking for two. Doncaster straight. Can he do it again? Light up the world is getting up near the fence. But Pharo, Pharo dashed to the lead from Abbey Glen and light up the world, followed by Aragen and Brave Warrior. But Gavin Eads goes for home on Pharo. Look at Auntie Mary. Auntie Mary out of the back. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Pride's Easy Feed. It's hard to believe 17 years have passed since the Hawkesbury Race Club broke new ground with a standalone Saturday race meeting. It took the persistence and the negotiating skills of CEO Brian Fletcher to convince Racing New South Wales that a club which contributed so significantly deserved an opportunity to stand alone one day a year. A fine day and a strong program brought a big crowd to the famous Clarendon course on Saturday the 24th of April 2006. The Free Stater won the Hawkesbury Guineas for Paul Cave and James Innes Sr. Fighting Fun won the Rowley Mile for the late Guy Walter and Cathy O'Hara, while Barberton won the Woodlands Crown for Charlie Britt and jockey Brent Stanley. Riding honours went to the great Jim Cassidy with a treble in consecutive races. It's on again on Saturday, April 22nd, when the Hawkesbury Club will present the Group 3 Hawkesbury Gold Cup, the Group 3 Hawkesbury Guineas, the Group 3 Hawkesbury Crown and the listed gold rush of 1,100 metres. Sweet Deal won the Hawkesbury Crown in 2021, just a few months after winning the Hunter. The most notable Hawkesbury Guineas winner was Chautauqua in 2014, while Arcademus won two Hawkesbury Cups with the 2020 gong sandwiched in between. It will seem little different to the normal Saturday Metropolitan Race Meeting. All of the big guns will be seen in action on a beautifully prepared race course. This is the day they said would never happen. Provincial racing on a Saturday unopposed near the foothills of the Blue Mountains. Hawkesbury stands alone on Saturday, April 22nd. Lee and Cherie Curtis have been training partners since 2020 and husband and wife since 2015. They first met 20 years ago when Cherie became a member of the staff at Lee's Rose Hill training operation. She'd learned about horses at a South Coast spelling and adjustment farm owned by her parents and from several other notable local horsemen. Lee became fascinated with the theatre of racing at a very early age. Although there wasn't a trace of racing involvement in the family, he was always focused on a career in the industry. He learned the basics from Nowra trainer Peter Tice and later formed an association with Canterbury trainer Dave Mills, who encouraged young Lee to spend some of his spare time around the stables. It was Dave who suggested he should take out his own licence and let experience be his teacher. He'd won a few races by the time the STC closed Canterbury as a training centre in the late 90s and was happy to relocate to Rose Hill and continue with his fledgling training career. Like most trainers, he's experienced the valleys and peaks of a sometimes unforgiving industry. The highs which include Group 1 wins with Mastegic and Lasquetti Spirit, have been exhilarating. Lows, like losing the emerging superstar Private Steer, have been devastating. We'll deviate slightly from normal format in this podcast 
by talking to Lee and his recently anointed training partner, Cherie. Let's talk to the senior member first. Lee Curtis, welcome to the podcast. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on, John. You've always enjoyed being across every horse in your stable, haven't you? You, you recognise each one instantly. You're aware of their characteristics and their foibles, and it's pretty good for your sanity levels too. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I like to. Yeah, you know, we like to be close to each horse. I mean, you know, sometimes they're trickier. <laughs> you oh, think they're course. better than what they. But um, yeah, just their personalities is important to us, and 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 being close is is, is important. You rarely have more than fifteen in work. But the system virtually caters for about forty. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that. I mean, you know, I, I suppose as time goes on, you, you develop your systems better, and I think everyone does that. But um, yeah, we could we could go definitely go up. But yeah, it's, it's all of it. and, and it's you know here we are at Rose Hill. We're around pretty pretty good trainers. Um, they're your opposition, so obviously you're watching them and and watching how they do things, and you're always learning. So it's good. Mm-hmm. You and Cherie obviously swap opinions and observations about things and you're not going to agree all the time. What happens in the event of a deadlock? I love the swap opinions bit. I love that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it gets a more, bit more fiery than that sometimes. But, um, yeah, I think, yeah, I guess I probably have the ultimate say always, but there's, there's plenty of input and there's plenty of discussion, that's for sure. You operate under a system uh, which I know is appreciated by your owners. Once a horse finds its level, you're pretty brutal in assessing its future. If they're city horses, they stay in town. If they're provincial horses, that's where they go. If they've got to go to the bush to earn some prize money, you tend to move them on. 100%, John. I mean... Purely and simply because we're, where we train, we train at Rose Hill in Sydney, and you know it's, it's not cheap to have horses trained here. You know you can go up the bush and have a horse trained for whatever eighty dollars a day or whatever, but you know we we charge more than that as to all city trainers, and and you know, you're, you're expected to perform, and you know as we know not all horses are going to be up to it, and we we try to sort them out, which doesn't discount giving them time. I mean often you'll have a a horse that you think is not up to it, but you can say to the owners, look, let's give it three or four months, and it's showing us a few things that it might develop, and, and you give it the time. But, you know, owners never seem to be too troubled by by giving them time. Um, but, you know, if you say that we're ready to go and then, you know, it's 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 not up to it, well, then where we where we train, that's the whole point, where we train here is it's not we don't train it. Bathurst or Dubbo or, you know, we've got to perform here. And, you know, I think if we trained out there, your your MO would be a whole lot different, but we're here, so Mm. that's how we've got to operate. The English digital sale has become very popular with people wanting to buy and sell horses. Do you use that facility? Absolutely, John. Yeah, I mean, we're always... We're always moving horses. I mean, uh, as all Sydney stables do, you know, you, 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 um, you try them and you know, it doesn't discount giving them time, you know. I mean, you can always say this horse is really not up to what we need at the moment, but let's give it four or five months in the paddock and, you know, let's give it the spring, say, or, or the autumn and, and bring it back after winter. And, you know, I think that's the time when you've really got to give them a good break. But 
But when you, you've given them the time, you say, okay, we're ready now. So this horse has had its time. Let's try it. Mm. If it's not up to what we need, then, then, then it will go on sales like the yep. endless typical sale. Now, this podcast is being recorded on Thursday, April 6th. And a mare that uh, you think a lot of, Dalcini, uh, is down to run in Saturday's Sapphire Stakes on the second day of the championships. It'll be the last of 10 races, and the track's going to be very, very heavy by then. She'd run good races in a couple of Group 3s before the Sapphire Stakes, and you've got quite an opinion of her. Yeah, well, she had a good uh, autumn as a three-year-old, culminating in running second in the Hawkesbury Guineas, and I think it was a bit of a taxing prep, and we brought her, brought, sent her out, brought her back, and I don't think she came up last prep, and you know, even even I think a second last start, she ran fourth in the Mona Lisa, and Jay Ford, who rides for us a lot, got off and said, "Look, she's not right. Put her out." So we we, we put her out, and she, we gave her a good break. She's come back. She's super. She's she's eating really well, and. I think she just needed those couple of runs to sort of get back into her own skin, and and she worked really well the other day. We 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 sort of uppish about her on on Saturday, that's for sure. Mm. You got a nice grey mare there, Lee, by the name of Akira, who won a Tab Highway last year, and ran several good races in town after that. Now everything went wrong. She had a big setback. She did indeed. She had a a fracture in a hind fetlock. Um, which is, um, you know, significant. She had to go and have surgery, and she's got three screws in her back fetlock there, and she obviously had to have a long break back off that. But she's she's come back, and she's had a couple of trials, and she's, you know, she'll probably take a bit of racing. You know, having had that time off, she'll take a bit of racing and get back. But she's a, she's a quality mare, and uh, she actually resumes pretty soon, and um, she's a nice mare, as you say, for sure. I mentioned in the introduction that Dave Mills was your original tutor at Canterbury, and it was Dave who encouraged you to go out and get that licence. Dave is a funny guy. Dave is a funny guy. He uh, he uh, he's a wily guy. Like he 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 he'd have runners or you know here and there, and then all of a sudden he'd say, "This will win today," and they. The punters would jump out of trees to back him and they'd win, you know. So it's just mm. from that era, you know, there was, there was a couple of old guys at Canterbury like that when we trained there that just had runners and every now and then the money would go on. And I think that's from, you know, from what it was like from back in their day, you know, back in the you know, 60s and 70s and where you sort of had to get your own. And they, <laughs> but he, he's a good guy, Dave. He's very kind to us and... He, I don't think he revealed all of it, but he revealed a lot. <laughs> no, that's right. Those old-time trainers, uh, Lee, they had a survival instinct uh, that modern-day sure. trainers don't necessarily have. No, it's completely different. Yeah, it's completely different. You kicked off with a few stables and yards in a backyard near Canterbury Racecourse, and I can remember calling in there one day with a Sky Channel film crew and my clearest recollection is the pristine appearance of the place. It was obvious to me on the day that you were a trainer who tidied up after yourself. I, I must have got the lawnmower out that day. No, we had we had we had a house and, and, and some like yards and stables in the back and that was pretty early on in the piece. That would have been around nineteen ninety five, I think, John. Um mm. and we had uh yeah, but it was it was good, you know, it was um 
yeah, it was probably still learning. We thought we knew everything, but we were still learning and, and uh, um, yeah, it was good times. The subject of that stable visit was a horse called Roadworthy, who was racing in the metropolitan area at that time. Now, if one were to delve through your scrapbook, I imagine we'd find a fair bit of space devoted to Roadworthy. He was a special horse for you. Yeah, well, he was a... Uh... He was a horse by Sea Road, and I actually bought him quite cheaply. Uh, I, I bought him off someone I can't remember, but quite you know, thousand dollars or something like that. And he ended up took a while to get going, and then he he, he his first start he went to Camelon One, then he won at Canterbury, and then he won a, a big race out in the bush. And you know he he won in town, he won the uh, Queen Bean Cup back in those days. The Queen Bean Cup was I think it was over a hundred thousand, so it was a, it was a it was a, a good race to win. I remember being down there and, you know, all the big names were there, Cummings and Bart Cummings and, and, and Gay, and and um, he won that race and then he sort of went amiss. He became a um, – had a win problem, which was really unfortunate because he looked like – Chris Munster had him for me. He said, I think this is a fair sort of horse you got here. And mm. it was a real shock to, to sort of have that happen pretty quickly, win the Queen Bean Cup, and then, and then within weeks he sort of – Actually, finished. You know, it was a bit of a letdown, and comes back to what you said before about the highs and lows. You go from that to not having a horse anymore, and it's uh, you know you just got to deal with it, I guess. It was in the late 1990s when the Sydney Turf Club made the call to terminate training on the Canterbury Racecourse. Trainers were offered alternative accommodation at Rose Hill. Some gave it away. Most decided to relocate. How did you feel about it at the time? Was it a bit intimidating? Oh, it was a bit of both, John. I mean, we I think it was a good vibe over there at Canterbury. Just basically sort of um, Tim Donnelly was there and, and, and Gary Nixon was, you know, good trainer over there and there was and, and myself and, and you know, some other smaller trainers and it was a good vibe there. But I mean I guess you accept in your heart that you know that things have got to move forward and and we're able to get stables over here at Rose Hill, so that was a positive. And you know, you're going to be, you know, mixing with you know some good trainers, so you're probably going to learn more as you go. So, mm. you know, we were happy to get in there with ten boxes. We'll leave your elite performers until a little bit later, but I want to stir your memories of a few other horses trained from your Rose Hill base. Go back a decade or more to a Kiwi bred horse called Black Routine. He didn't race a lot. He only had 19 starts. He won four with four placings, a couple of wins at Rose Hill and one at Canterbury. Now, you tell me he was a cot case, Lee. Oh, yeah, yeah. A guy called Con Hatchikopaskara. So I'm going to – he'll come up later, that guy. I train a lot of horses for him. He's a a restaurateur from the Eastern Suburbs. He said to me, go to New Zealand – and buy a horse, and you know, I went over there, and I came home with this black middle loose colt, who's an outstanding-looking individual. He was, I think, we paid about eighty thousand New Zealand for him, and come back, and he was just so impressive from day one. So impressive. I said to uh, get a couple of trials. I said to uh, Nathan Cumberland, he's a jockey at the time, and I said, Nathan, I tried. I said, I want you to run last in this. I want to take it out of the bush and have a bet on it. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, he's won the trial. 
and our Patterson got six to four. <laughs> but anyway, he won by about eight lengths. Mm. And um, he's a good horse. He's a very good horse, but he he had uh, problems with his tendons and and his uh, breathing in terms of being a bleeder. So we sort of there was a lot of patchwork going on there. That's for sure. But he yeah. he got away with a few in town, and he was unbelievable natural ability, a lovely animal, mm. and uh, unbelievable natural ability. But we never saw him. At his best, that's for sure. Volta Bolter was around for a long time. 105 starts, 10 wins, 29 placings. Most of them out of town, but what a fun horse he was. He was a fantastic horse. I, I, I actually I went to Dubbo to buy a horse for another gentleman, and uh, while I was there, <laughs> a chap said to me, oh, can you run this up to the reserve? And uh, I said, oh, okay. So I ran it up to whatever the reserve was. I can't remember, three, four, five thousand. Next minute, it gets knocked down to me. And uh, <laughs> I said to him, what are you doing? He said, oh, you can afford that. He said, you take this horse. I said, I want it. I took it home and tried to sell him, you know, because I'd already I bought the other horse down there. Mm. And uh, I said, oh, I'm stuck with this, this, this horse, you know. So I mm. broke it in and got it going. He had, he had 13 starts as a two-year-old, you know. So yeah. He was obviously, he was no champ, but. Yeah. He got us out of a few scrapes, that's for sure. Well, 10 wins, 29 placings. You can't expect much more than that. What about Turbulent Jet? He did a good job too a few years back. He won four. I think there were five placings, and he won three in town. Had an uh, amazing race pattern. He won a race at Canterbury one day with Glenn on. I think uh, the gentleman I just mentioned, Con, he, uh, he, uh, I think he had a I know he had a huge win on the punt. And he come from absolute last at Canterbury, which, as you know, is hard to do, and just Glenn, Glenn at his absolute best, just weaving through the paddock and got up in the, through the field, sorry, and got up on the line. It was an amazing win. It's just – it was incredible. He, he had an amazing finishing burst. Um, you know, um, Nathan Berry went on him, and, uh, yeah, it was – it was uh, he was he was a really really good horse and unfortunately went a miss. He would I thought he was a Stradbroke horse there for a while because he just mm. he had the ability just to sit last and just go straight past them. Mm. So he's a, he's a nice horse. And his name was Turbulent Jet. Now to look at press report early days, you would never have imagined she'd make a two-year-old. She was a huge filly, but contrary to all expectations. She ran second in a silver slipper, fourth in a sweet embrace, seventh in the magic night, but not very far away, and then she didn't run in the golden slipper. Had she gone over the top by then? Yeah, she had. I mean, we bought her. We actually bought her off the internet, like off the, you know, horses on, uh, you just, what, what's it called? Bloodstock.com. Bloodstock.com or something like that. We just bought her sight unseen. And, and it was the first year, I think it was the first or second year of the Written Tycoon, so... They weren't all that fashionable, unlike now. But um, yeah, we bought it for about nine thousand dollars, and um, you, t- you take your chances, of course. But we got her home, and we put her out for a while. And she really grew, and you're right, John. We didn't think she'd run as a two-year-old, but we stepped her out anyway, and I think she ran. She ran really well as a two-year-old. Well, she finished up winning two city races eventually. She ran fourth in the flight stakes. She ran fourth in the spring champion stakes. She was a real surprise packet, wasn't she? Yeah, she ran a lot of placings in a lot of group races and then she was sold for a lot more money than what she was paid for. And um, 
good syndicate of people and she won she won over four hundred thousand dollars in prize money and you know, she was a obviously didn't win one of those black type races, but I think she ended up with about nine individual black type performances, you know, places or first fours. So she was she's a pretty solid sort of mare, yeah, for sure. We'll just pause briefly to clear a commitment on the podcast and when we come back we're going to talk about the horse who put your name up in lights. Australian trainers are giving Pride's Racing Cube the thumbs up. These small but powerful extruded cubes provide the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses finish their races off while promoting gut health. Racing Cube is a set recipe formulation in which the same premium quality proteins and essential amino acids are used in every batch produced. Racing Cube's profile and digestibility allows you to feed approximately two to three kilos less per day than similar raw grain rations. It's salt-free to help reduce irritation if you've got a horse prone to stomach ulcers. Mornington trainer Jason Warren introduced his horses to Racing Cube early this year and is delighted with the results. We've had a great deal of success since making that change. So really pleased with Pride's and not only the racing cubes, they've got a number of other feeds that work well for us. Pride's Racing Cube is available in the popular 25 kilo bag, in bulk bags or straight into the silo if you prefer, giving you quality equine nutrition at a very economical price. Talk to your local rep about Racing Cube, another winner from the Pride's Easy Feed Stable. Trainers are giving it the tick of approval all around the nation. My special guest is Lee Curtis. Is it true you actually bred Mystegic by sending a mare called Volcanic Mist to Strategic, who was a son of Zedative? He'd been a brilliant two-year-old himself, Strategic, for Crown Lodge. Did you own the mare, Lee, Volcanic Mist? It's a funny story with uh, Mayor John, Volcanic Mist. Uh, I trained a few horses for Stan Dumble. You'd remember him. I do. He's, yeah. um, he's a pretty prominent owner. He had the pink and black silks, and we, we trained a few for him, and he he took a few. He took a couple of fillies up to a sale in Queensland, and they they came home. He didn't sell them, and he, they they overnighted at our place. And he said, "You can buy, you can buy either or both of these fillies." And I went out there, and I went out there with my then wife, and and I said, "I really like this one." I can't even remember what it was, and my wife said, "No." Um, Megan said, oh, I really like this one. So we bought that one, which was Volcanic Mist, and she was stakes placed, and she ended up injuring herself, and she went to start, and the first year she went to Strategic, and, and Mystegic was the outcome. Well, you looked after Mystegic beautifully. He had 31 starts for six wins, 15 placings, and 1.68 million. The majority of his runs were at stakes level. Was he relatively trouble-free right throughout his career? I think towards the latter part, he had a few issues that horses will get, you know, probably, you know, you know, slight arthritic changes and stuff like that. But overall, I think he was pretty sound. I mean, he came out his first start, John, from Barrier 16, I think, in the Breeders and went straight to the front. I remember standing there with Brian York. I said, you'll just win this. He looked at me like I was from outer space <laughs> and just went to the front and, and won easily. And, uh, He's, he's a very fast horse and, you know, he had a stellar three-year-old season. He he, um, he went down to Melbourne. He won the he won the Moya. He, he won a Scalazzi. He won the Moya, came back in the 
in the autumn. He ran, I think, second in the Lightning, second in the Ugly Plate, and third in the New Market, and then oh, came yeah. back to Sydney and won, won a Galaxy. So he's he actually beat Lonro for Horse of the Year in New South Wales, which is quite an achievement, just purely on number of you know wins or placings in group races. So he's still he's three last season, which is just unbelievable. Mm. Glenn Boss was riding him in most of those Group One races at that stage, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he won a Galaxy on him, and he 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 quite liked him. You know, he went he went good for Bossy. Before we highlight Lasquetti's spirit. Let's acknowledge the marvellous support given to you over a long period of years by Frank and Christine Cook, who rarely race a horse in their own right. They like to involve friends and associates, and as Christine says, the more girls the better. Some of their syndicated horses have totally female ownership groups. Frank's colours are maroon, white cross sashes, yellow armbands, yellow cap, and horses raced by the girls carry a slightly different version of the same combination. But they are, they're very spectacular and they stand out. Um, Frank and Christine are enormously enthusiastic about the sport. Oh, for sure. I mean, we'll go back, um, go back how I met, how we, we teamed up with Frank and Christine. We, uh, it was at uh, went to sales and and with with Con Hadji and <clears throat> we said we really like this horse and he said oh Frank bought it he said what if I go and see him and I'll take half and I'll ask him to if it can go to you so he he went and saw Frank and Frank said yeah that's fine so we we trained that horse for for Con and Frank and 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 Christine sorry and and uh, it was a, you know won a race and then we moved it on and then and then we ended up. You know, they, they, Frank and Christine were kind enough to take some shares and a couple of our geldings. And then uh, I remember we were at the at the Magic Million sales, Shri and I, and, and we'd left. We bought a horse, I think, and we left. And we were probably a little bit despondent. We were driving down the road, and Frank rang me, and he said, "You're still at the sales." And I went, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I'm still at the sales." And 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 as I'm turning the car around on the Gold Coast Highway, and and he said, "Go and have a look at." This uh, Bernardini filly. Benito. Benito filly, sorry. Benito filly. Um, we went back and looked at her, and, and she's very leggy, very nice filly. And Frank said, uh, go to 150. I'm, I'm going to be out of range for a day. Go to 150 and see if you can – go to 120, sorry, and see if you can secure it. And we ended up going to 150, and we are trying to ring him. And, uh, and <laughs> she's going, oh, you know, you pay too much. He doesn't want it. <laughs> but anyway, it was all right. We spoke to him the next day, and that filly, of course, was Lascotti Spirit. So, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a bit of luck, and, you know, it was great. She was uh, an amazing filly. You used an expression earlier on, Lee, uh, that occasionally a horse will trick you completely. I think it's fair to say this filly tricked you and everybody else early in her career because she showed no get-up-and-go, she seemed very one-paced. You did get her to the races, two-year-olds. She ran third in a five-horse maiden at Wyong, and then she was unplaced, plodding away in a group three at Rose Hill, and then you went to the time-honoured Fern Hill handicap at Randwick, and this was the day you started to realise she might stay. Prized Icon won that race from, 
I think Crown Him ran second. You finished third. But something funny happened. It, it took her a while to stop past the post. Oh, absolutely. That's what we, we – I mean, you're right about her not having a hell of a lot of turn of foot, that's for sure. And then what we did notice is, you know, you work all your horses here at Rose Hill and they all pretty much pull up in the same spot. She, she'd always pull up two furlongs past everyone else, <clears throat> every other horse, and she just, just wanted to keep running. She was amazing aerobic capacity. She was she was extraordinary and big, strong filly, and and – she just kept doing that in track work, and and I mean, she did it in the in the as you say in the Fernhill. She she ran third, but then you know, hundred metres past the pace, she's back in front and still running on. Yeah, and we thought, well, that that was that was the day we really thought, well, we, we can win an Oaks, and mm. almost the plan was sort of set that day by saying, well, if we get out and roll along in a race like the Oaks, well, she's going to be hard to run down. So mm. she went for a good spell after that Fernhill. And she didn't set the world on fire in her following six runs. She was placed in a couple of Hawkesbury maidens, was a plodding fourth in a 2,400-metre Class 1 at Kembla. But by this time, you were hatching a plan. You nominated her as a maiden for the Victorian Oaks and you told Brenton Avdullah to go straight to the front. In fact, you told him a bit more than that, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the instructions were: if you think you're going too fast, go faster. So, <laughs> and it's not—I I don't think I've ever said that to anyone else ever. So, you know, it's not like it's not tactics we use all the time. But it was just her in that situation. It was the right, it was the right tactics. And you know, to be fair, she's probably a bit unlucky in a couple of those runs before. But it was a big step up to the VRC Oaks, and mm. she just went out. And even interestingly, when she pulled up. She did the same thing in the Oaks when she pulled up. They all pulled up, you know, where they did, a couple of furlongs past the pace. And she was still going around half mile past the pace. She was just amazing in that respect. She just <laughs> sort of rumbled back. It was an extraordinary race to watch. And, Lee, it's funny how you can remember where you were on a certain day. I was on a cruise ship watching that race with Larry Olson, the former champion jockey, and Larry said to me, coming around the turn, they won't get this filly. <laughs> they won't get this leader. He said, she's going stronger than she was a mile back. She was a, consider her pedigree too. I mean, she was by um, Benito out of a general Nadine mare. I mean, she should have been 1,100 metre horse. Mm. And uh, so she just she just somewhere in a, in a pedigree, a little bit of or a whole lot of staying ability jumped in there and just amazing, as I said, it, Amazing aerobic capacity, amazing filly to deal with. You'd, you'd walk in the barn, you know, with 14 horses in work and you'd just look at her and say, this, this, she's a serious horse. This is something about her. She's, she was quality, you know. Mm. You're to be commended on devising a very bold plan, sticking with it and bringing it off. There's nothing more satisfying when you're a horse trainer. No, it was it was amazing feeling. It was it was it was. Uh, you just took me back there then, actually, John. <laughs> uh, yeah, that down that last that last furlong in that race, it was just incredible. And mm. yeah, it was uh, and the celebrations. So they were, they were pretty good. Everyone was pretty happy. Well, I can imagine. I mean, she didn't win again, but she did run second to Winks in the Chipping Norton. She ran third to Bonneval in the Aust Australasian Oaks at Randwick. 
and then she went to stud. Now, Frank sold her first cult by Piero for big money. He made 850000 and was purchased by Coolmore. Now, he's called Pogacar. He won a maiden at Doomben last year for Chris Waller. Haven't seen him since, Lee. I think, I think he's around now. He's had a few trials, but he was an outstanding yearling. He was, a, he was you, you wouldn't get a better yearling. And I think Cornwall purchased him, and they're pretty good judges. Um, he, he, he was a cracker of a yearling and very, very nice horse. I mean, he's, look, he may have had an issue, I'm not sure, but but he, he was a very nice horse. And the, actually, the, the next one out of her is Dundee, which we have in our stable. She's a nice filly. Mm-hmm. What, um, what stage is she at? She's been in and out, and we're sort of looking at, you know, shaping her up. Well, she's a done deal out of out of that mare. You'd think she should shape up for an Oaks at BRC or an ATC Oaks or something like that. She's, she's a nice filly. She's already impressed us. Mm. One very talented mare you trained for nine female owners was Merrill. She was by Epaulette out of Academy Idol, and she was named after the great Merrill Streep, who knocked up winning Academy Awards. Now, Merrill won two Group 3s, one in Melbourne and one in Brisbane. She could run. Yeah, she was very good, John. I mean, obviously, Christine and Frank were kind enough to buy her for the stable straight after Lascetti Spirit's success, so that was, that was a good lead-in. And um, she's a lovely filly um, as a yearling, very neat, and uh, just impressed from day one. Just, you know... You know, one of those ones the breaker rings you up and says, "Wow, this is a beautiful filly," and mm. everyone that jumps on it says, "Wow." You know, she was she was very impressive, and she came out and she ran in the gym crack, and then she went up to and won the McLaughlin's a two-year-old. She raced in the uh, Magic Millions and got absolutely flattened, so we didn't see the best of her there, and come back and had a you know pretty good three-year-old career. And, she won the race in Melbourne, the Group Three in Melbourne. She she was racing, in, I think she ran third at Sunlight, um, and she ran uh, she ran third in another race down there where she had to give them all four kilos. She's she's a very very good filly. Yeah. Well, she hit the headlines again on the third of April when her first foal, a cult by Written Tycoon, made one point four million at the Inglis Easter sale. I think you long with a bias. It's amazing, isn't it? Look, obviously we've followed the progress of that cult all along and he's he's been an outstanding looking fellow and and and, and, and mum had a mum has a fantastic temperament. She was the most beautiful mare, Philly. And and he, he looks to have that temperament. And I think, you know, a lot of smart judges look for their temperament and you know, they obviously saw Yulong obviously saw that Temperament in him, he never turned a hair in the in the sales ring. He's just a very relaxed, chilled customer, and he's a magnificent Colton. But that, you know, it's full credit to the mayor. She's been able to produce him, and the dad, I guess. <laughs> Written tycoon, he's, he's a good stallion. Mm-hmm. So um, I think she'll have a pretty good. I don't think we saw the best of her, Meryl, as a, as, as a four and five year old. She had, you know, a little little problem in her back, um, muscular problem, but. But I don't think we saw the best of her. But you know, I think um, uh, I'm sure that 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 cult will be a very good cult. I'm sorry to have to bring up the lowest point in your training career, but it's an important stitch in the tapestry of life, Lee. You were the original trainer of Private Steer. 
and it didn't take you long to work out just how good she was. You must have stared at your stopwatch in disbelief a few times early on. It's funny you say that, John, because she wasn't. Uh, she didn't run times that you would think she would run a, a mare like that. Um, she worked well. She worked quite well, but she wasn't. She wasn't head and shoulders on the clock ahead of other horses when I had her at least. Mm. And you know, she won a. I think a second start. She won a Kembla by some ridiculous margin and broke a track record that stood for. God knows how long. So she's just amazing yeah. ability. She's amazing. That was her maiden. Jeff Penzer was the rider. And I'll tell you what the margin was. 10.3 lengths. Yeah, and I think the time was pretty good too. And I, I think that time stood for a long time. But, yeah, and then she won. I think we won another race with her at, at uh, Randwick, I think. Um, yeah, Reginald Allen handicap with Grant Buckley in the saddle. She won that by four. Yeah, that's right. So... Yeah, yeah, no, and and then she was probably a bit unlucky in the in the uh, flight stakes that year too, um, but um, she come back. I think we won a race with her, and then she went to Magic, and, and then you know we lost her. And look, yeah, you know, obviously it hurt at the time, and mm-hmm. but you've just got to um, you've just got to think about all the good things in your life. You know, I I have kids, and you look at your kids and your partner, and you just say, well, you know, my life isn't too bad. I'll just. Mm-hmm. Get over this, but you know it does hurt. But you just got to move on and look yeah. at other things. You mentioned the flight stake. She ran third that day to Royal Perler, and that was a lot better run than it looked because she missed the kick and ran home strongly. Then she had a little spell. She won an open race at Randwick first up by a big space, and then off you went to the Gold Coast for that three-year-old Magic Millions. Everything went wrong that day. She was slowly away. She got caught wide. She was never in the race. And I think you told me once you had a gut feel immediately after the race that you'd be lucky to keep her in your stable. Yeah, yeah, no, there's a bit of that going on. But, I mean, look, you, you know, I mean, like like I said earlier, you know, it, it, these things hurt at the time, but, you know, you, you just learn in life that, you, you, you've got to try and put it behind you and just move on because there's, there's so many other things in life and we don't really worry about it. Now, it's a long time ago now. so yeah. and, and, and good luck to us. She did really well. And John did a fantastic job with her. You know, he won the thread break and a few other Doncasters and so mm. on. So he did a good job with her. It was good, good to see. She won another nine races uh, when she went to John O'Shea, including three Group 1s. I think she finished up with about $3.4 million in the bank. But you can rest content in the knowledge, Lee, that you educated and developed the talents of a lethal sprinting weapon, for want of a better description. Now, on to more cheerful things. You're a dad six times over. You had three children with your first wife, Megan. They're all well on their way in the world. Brittany's 27 Courtney's 24, Larry's 19, and pleasingly, all three have developed an interest in the thoroughbreds. The girls, you tell me, enjoy visiting the stables. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they, um, yeah, they've all, um, they're, they're all more interested in the racing side. I've never really encouraged them to work in the stables. I always said, no, you've got to get a career, and Brittany's doing quite well. She's got three degrees and I think she's still she is still studying at uni. She's doing a physio degree now. She's got a couple of others and Courtney Courtney's been helping me out. We found ourselves a little bit short staffed to the latter part of last year and Courtney's been coming over and 
and Larry, my 19 year old son, he's he's been coming over and he's a, he's just done his first year at uni, and he's he's been coming over and doing a little bit and. Yeah, they've got a good interest in it. And as I said, they've never spent a lot of time in the stable prior to that. But, you know, they like racing, obviously, and they've always gone to the races when they grew up going to the races when we had a, a good horses in and stuff like that. So they've got a good affinity with it. But it's, mm. it, is, it has been nice in the last few months to have them helping us out a little bit. Lee, would you be kind enough to hand the phone over to your wife and hugely talented training partner, Cherie Curtis? She's right next to me. Hi, John. Hi, Cherie. Thanks for joining us. I know you've been waiting in the wings. Now, you and Lee have your own family of three. Harvey's 11, Jackson is seven, and baby Alexis is three. There must be days when the combination of stable duties and the demands of motherhood meet head on. I think they meet head on every day, John. (laughs) (laughs) It's... uh... It's quite wild um, and not a lot of family around to help out. Um, but we are very lucky, especially with Lee's um, daughter, Courtney, does a lot of helping with the kids, um, which allows me to to put my efforts into the stables and, and on the clerical side of the business as well. Um, she's a huge help um, looking after the little ones when we need it. Your interest in racing was sparked when your parents dabbled in horse ownership as you were growing up. You learned the language of racing pretty early in life. Yeah, I I grew up in Sydney and my parents had bought a share in a horse and it won a couple of races at Warwick Farm and they got hooked and they went out to sales and bought a horse for themselves and that just just ballooned into something like 20, 30 horses, just a, a massive interest in it and you know, I was still going to school but you know I was finding myself like not turning up to school and heading out to Warwick Farm or whatever and and really getting into it and then they um they bought a farm they realized that the 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 bills were just getting too high and so they bought a farm and um by that time I had left school and my brother was still quite young and um someone needed to sort of run the farm and get into it and I really really enjoyed it so that was me I left school and, and looked after the horses on the farm and fold mares and, and all that sort of stuff, and it was great fun. And that farm was situated on the outskirts of a beautiful little south coast town called Berry. The property, you tell me, had originally been part of a much bigger place owned by Ray and Faye Wisby of trotting fame, and champion paces like Koala King had been reared on that place. That's correct. Um, the old dairy on the farm had his um, hoof prints in there. And um, so obviously when I went down there, just having left school and not having the horse knowledge, um, I was really lucky that Kevin Robinson was around and he taught me a lot. Um, and I was able to learn from the other Robinson boys um, and they would lend staff out there and, 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 and really teach me what to do with them. Um and my brother took on the – he really got the love of the harness racing through there as well. So I was more into the thoroughbreds. But, yeah, I learned a lot from Kevin Robinson and, um, yeah, Terry and Chris and AJ, all those guys. Um, they were very helpful um, and a really, really lovely family. Mm. You couldn't have had better teachers anywhere in this country. The late Kevin Robinson had been a legend in harness racing 
before going on to become a Group 1 thoroughbred trainer. He won the Oaks at Randwick some years ago with a filly called Ken Bell. I can still see him. Yeah, um, yeah they just... Like I said, he, he was just a really, really lovely guy. Like, he didn't have to help us. I think mum and dad had maybe one or two horses in work with him. But he was just really, really um, wanted to share his knowledge. And um, like I said, I was really lucky to be able to learn from them. And then it didn't take long before I actually got sick of the farm life because I was born and raised in Sydney. Um, and I was really keen to get into the racing stables. And that was when I um, came up and started working for leave. That was in uh, 2003. Yeah. Now, how did that job come up? Was it advertised or did you hear about it on the grapevine? No, no, no. My parents had horses in work with Lee at the time. Mm. I think I remember Lee coming down to the farm one day and going through their yearlings and saying, well, I'm going to win the breeder's plate with that horse and that horse and that horse. And um, to his credit, he got two of them to the breeder's plate in the same year. Um, They're both poorly bred horses, but um, they both got to the breeder's plate. I think one ran fourth and the other one pulled up Shinsaw. Um, but, yeah, the, he, that's how that came about. He was training a few horses for my parents and um, mm. and I really wanted to get into the stable. So Dad just basically said, can you give her a job? Mm. It must be difficult uh, some days for you both to be at the races when you've got runners. Um, yeah, look, it is. Um, school holidays makes it easier. We'll bring the kids with us. There are times where if we go on a road trip, we just give day, the kids will have a day off school or um, a couple of days off and we'll go. But um, generally one of us will go to the races and the other one will have the kids. Um, and sometimes that would depend on who does the early mornings. Like Lee's more likely to do the early mornings. Um, and if he has, then I'll go out to the races Um well, it just depends on what we have happening at home with the clerical side of it. You know, if it's accounts time, then I'll send Lee to the races. Um, but, yeah, Saturdays we generally go out together um, to the races, which is really, always really good. You've been around long enough to know that for every high point in this game, there are ten low ones. You've got to yeah. savour the good times, Cherie, and move on from the bad. Well, I don't think we've had too many bad times since I've been here. You know, um, private steer happened before I started, really. Um, and most of the things that we have happened have been good. You know, I've we've started off, you know, we're in a situation where we didn't have a lot of horses and, and you know, we've built from that. I, we're very proud of what we've, um, what we've built from and where we were at, you know, 15 years ago. Um, we've had incredible support from some really, really good people. I know like Lee's best mate, Andrew Davison, he's, you know, he's just like a rock. He's been around for 15 years and he owns horses, but he's also, um, he's also at the stables quite often, three days a week. And, and so he's been a, a, a great support. Obviously the cooks, um, they just, they're incredible people and, and lots and lots of other owners, you know, just, um, we've been so lucky, but in particular, yeah, Frank and Christine Cook, I don't know where we would be at right now if we didn't have them so involved in our stable. They're, they're two amazing people. We're so lucky. Jerry, lovely to talk, lovely to include you in our Supernova Sound podcast. You better pop the boss back on and I'll say tell her <laughs> to him. No worries. Thanks, John. Yeah, he did all right. Oh, mate, she's... <laughs> She's a good wife, a wonderful assistant trainer, 
and uh, she's on the same wavelength. Yeah, no, she's very good. She, um, she's, uh, yeah, she's uh, she's been very good for me, and uh, we're going great. Terrific to have you on the podcast, Lee Curtis. Keep chipping away, mate. You've been to the Group One Winners Circle twice already, and you'll do it again if the right horse comes along. Thanks for your time. Thanks, John. It's a pleasure. Lee Curtis on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. It's hard to believe 17 years have passed since the Hawkesbury Race Club broke new ground with a standalone Saturday race meeting. It took the persistence and the negotiating skills of CEO Brian Fletcher to convince Racing New South Wales that a club which contributed so significantly deserved an opportunity to stand alone one day a year. A fine day and a strong program brought a big crowd to the famous Clarendon course on Saturday the 24th of April 2006. The Free Stater won the Hawkesbury Guineas for Paul Cave and James Innes Senior. Fighting Fun won the Rowley Mile for the late Guy Walter and Cathy O'Hara, while Barberton won the Woodlands Crown for Charlie Britt and jockey Brent Stanley. Riding honours went to the great Jim Cassidy with a treble in consecutive races. It's on again on Saturday, April 22nd, when the Hawkesbury Club will present the Group 3 Hawkesbury Gold Cup, the Group 3 Hawkesbury Guineas, the Group 3 Hawkesbury Crown and the listed gold rush of 1,100 metres. Sweet Deal won the Hawkesbury Crown in 2021, just a few months after winning the Hunter. The most notable Hawkesbury Guineas winner was Chautauqua in 2014, while Arcademus won two Hawkesbury Cups with the 2020 gong sandwiched in between. It will seem little different to the normal Saturday Metropolitan Race Meeting. All of the big guns will be seen in action on a beautifully prepared race course. This is the day they said would never happen. Provincial racing on a Saturday unopposed near the foothills of the Blue Mountains. Hawkesbury stands alone on Saturday, April 22nd.